Do you live your life with no regrets? If you said yes, then you're probably clinically unwell, under the age of five, or just flat out lying. At least that's what today's guest, Dan Pink, and a wealth of academic evidence tells us. Today, one of the New York Times number one best-selling authors, Dan Pink, will explain not only why we all have regrets, but why regrets are good for you. But first, here's a podcast I'd recommend. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct-to-consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. You are listening to Nudge with me, Phil Agnew. Now, for many of you, today's guest, Daniel Pink, will need no introduction. He is the author of several number one best-selling books, including Drive and When. He hosts his own podcast. He has his own television show on National Geographic called Crowd Control, and he hosts popular masterclasses on persuasion. Recently, though, he did something groundbreaking. He conducted the world's largest survey on regret. He asked more than 21,000 people in 109 countries what their regrets were. In his latest book, The Power of Regret, he explains not only how all of us share most of our regrets with others, but also how regrets are actually a positive thing, helping us live smarter and better lives. Now, to kick off, I asked Dan to talk us through the World Regret Survey that he conducted for his book. Let me, let me take a step. Let me take one step back, though, and explain how I tried to understand and uncover and reveal this misunderstood emotion of regret. There were three pieces of it. One was that I looked at about 50 years of research in existing science, social psychology, uh, developmental psychology, cognitive science, neuroscience. Two. I also did a very large public opinion survey of the U.S., only the U.S., the the largest survey of American attitudes about regret ever conducted, um, trying to get at some very specific questions and some demographic differences. Third, the World Regret Survey uh, was a massive collection tool where now we have collected over 21,000 regrets from people in 109 countries. And my goal in compiling that initially was simply to get some texture, some story, some humanity to to um, enliven the other two pieces of research. To my surprise, this giant body of qualitative research turned out to be as revealing, if not more revealing, than the other two pieces. This huge body of research can reveal an awful lot about how all of us behave, plus the feelings and emotions we have. Here's one insight. Pretty much all of us have regrets. Now, this surprised me a little. I I knew I had regrets, but I didn't expect everyone else to have them. I didn't expect movie stars and football players to have regrets. I didn't expect startup CEOs and successful artists to have regrets. But we all do. 
well, pretty much all of us. In the American Regret Project, Dan asked the 4,489-person sample a question about their behaviour that intentionally avoided using the word regret. Instead, he asked, how often do you look back on your life and wish you had done things differently? Now, only 1% of people said that they never do that. In other words, that they never have regrets. 17% said they do have regrets, but only rarely, and 43% report frequent regrets. All in all, 82% of people say that they think about regrets semi-regularly in their lives. Not only that they have regrets, but they're thinking about them regularly. Which, according to Dan, makes Americans more likely to think about regret than to floss their teeth. That's exactly right. And that's not what I said. That's not only what I say. That's what the science tells us very, very clearly. Again, if we go back to what, you know, we have 50, 60 years of research on this emotion. And what it tells us is that regret is one of the most common emotion that human beings have. It's arguably the most common negative emotion that human beings have. There's research that began in the 1980s that recorded the everyday conversations of people, then, you know, printed the transcripts and had research assistants who were blind to what the investigators were looking for code those transcripts for emotions. And what they found is that the most common emotion, the most common negative emotion that people expressed was regret. The most common emotion of any kind that they were, that they expressed in their everyday conversations was regret. Uh, the second only to love. Regret is commonplace. It is the most common negative emotion that we feel. And it's the second most common emotion of any type, positive or negative, that we feel. If you're feeling an emotion, there's a good chance that it is regret. And this is a problem, because regret hurts. An important 2004 study makes that clear. A team of cognitive scientists organised a simple gambling game in which participants had to choose one of two computerised roulette-style wheels to spin. Depending on where the arrow landed on their chosen wheel, they would either win or lose money. When participants spun a wheel and lost money, they felt bad. No surprises there. But when they spun a wheel, lost money, and learned that if they had chosen just the other wheel, they would have won money, they felt worse. Much worse. They felt that they had missed out. They experienced loss aversion and ultimately felt regret. A regretful loss hurts more than a standard loss. One of the reasons regret is so painful is because it's a complex emotion. In fact, it's so complex that children can't experience it. Here's Dan to explain. We also have research in, in developmental psychology showing, and I think this is a very quite, quite important, that, re- that the ability to think counterfactually and experience regret is a stage in our cognitive development. So five-year-olds don't experience regret because regret is cognitively very complex. It involves mental time travel. It involves negating things that really happened and then reimagining what the world would look like if those things didn't happen or happened another way. Five-year-olds can't do this. Their brains aren't sophisticated enough. They haven't developed enough. And so it's really only about age seven or eight that people begin the capacity to experience regret. And, and by adolescence or so, it, it's in most people, it's, it's, it's mostly developed. But again, there's evidence that the absence of regret is a grave problem. So people with 
lesions in the orbital frontal cortex of their brain often cannot experience regret. People with certain kinds of Huntington's disease, a neurodegenerative disorder, often cannot experience regret. People with certain kinds of Parkinson's disease, same thing. Sociopaths, a, you know, a massive psychiatric disorder, don't experience regret. But the rest of us experience regret. It is ubiquitous in the human experience. Everybody has regrets. I mean, truly, everybody has regrets. Not only do 99% of us have regrets, but we spend a lot of our time ruminating over regrets. A 2016 study that tracked the choices and behaviours of more than 100 Swedes found that participants regretted, on average, 30% of the decisions they made during the previous week. 30%. That's almost one in three decisions. Think about the amount of decisions you make in a day, what to eat for lunch, whether to have an iced coffee or a hot latte, if you should message back that recruiter or whether or not you'll head to the gym. Now, on average, you'll regret at least one of those decisions and thousands more over the course of a week, which makes you think. The popular phrase, no regrets, the one that's been plastered on millions of teenagers' Instagram profiles and and tattooed on thousands of people's skin, it's a bit stupid because it's obviously not true. Well, I'll, I'll see you and raise you on the point that the no regrets tattoo isn't very apt. I think it's bullshit. It, you know, it meets, at least to my mind, the precise definition of bullshit, which is something that is demonstrably untrue and dangerous if you believe it. So first of all, everybody has regrets. It's ubiquitous. And the reason it's ubiquitous is that if we treat it right, it's useful. We have, a, again, a pile of evidence showing that if we process our regrets properly, don't ignore them, don't wallow in them, but confront them, use them as signals. It can help us become better negotiators, help us find greater meaning in life, help us become better strategists, better problem solvers, avoid cognitive biases. Um, And so if you're going to get a a tattoo that says no regrets, you might as well get a tattoo that says no learning, no growth. And so it's, it's it's a very dangerous philosophy. And I think that a lot of us, have been seduced into thinking that is the proper path for a life well lived. And it is not. That is just demonstrably untrue. Um, That everybody has regrets. What we need to do is deal with our regrets, confront our regrets. Um, and, And that, and, you know, people often will proclaim no regrets as a sign of courage, but that's false courage. Real courage is looking your regrets in the eye and doing something about them. This fascinated me. We might be riddled with regrets, but it's for a good reason. As Dan said, it improves us. Here's an example of how it can make you a better negotiator. In 2002, Adam Galansky, now at Columbia University, and three other social psychologists studied negotiators who had their first offer accepted. So they go in, they make an offer, and the first one is accepted. They asked these negotiators to rate how much better they could have done if only they had made a higher offer. So going in and asking for a higher price rather than maybe a low price which got accepted immediately. They found that the more they regretted their decision, the more time the negotiators would spend preparing for a subsequent negotiation. And because they would prepare more when they had more regret, they would get better results in those follow-up negotiations. There is value in regret. And Dan will explain how we can use regret to our advantage right after this quick 60-second break. 
Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, back to the show. Here's Dan explaining the value of regret. So what does regret do for us? At a very high level, what regret does, what regret does it clarifies what we value and instructs us on how to do better in the future. Okay, so, um, and a lot of us want the clarification and we want the instruction, but we don't want the discomfort that comes from regret. Regret doesn't feel good. Okay, so, so what happens, so people want clarity, they want instruction, but they want it without the discomfort. And that's not the offer on the table. The discomfort is the source of its benefit. And, and, and this is what a lot of these studies teach us. Give you, I'll give you an example. There's a study done by um, a group of uh, social psychologists, mostly at Columbia University, but from several universities. And what they did, essentially what they did is this. You put people into a negotiation session. Um, so they do the negotiation. Then upon leaving the negotiation, or shortly after leaving the negotiation, they are invited to explicitly regret something they did in that negotiation. I should have made a better first offer. I shouldn't have made a first offer at all, whatever. So what they ask people to do is, is literally to invite that negative emotion. Not to go no regrets, but actually to say yes regrets in a sense and invite that negative emotion. Feel the pain. What happens? If you process it correctly, you say, oh, wait a second. Wow, that was really, oh, I, uh, if only I had made a better first offer, I'd have done better. Wow, that makes me feel terrible. What's that teaching me? It's teaching me that I need to make a stronger first offer. Boom, in the next negotiation, they do better. Dan's referring to that study I mentioned earlier by Galinsky, Laura Cray, and Keith Markman. They found that when people look back at previous negotiations and just think about what they regretted, they don't only improve the preparation for the next negotiation, they actually make better decisions in later negotiations as well. The very act of contemplating what they had done previously widened the possibilities of what they could do next and provided a script for future interactions. Regrets and thinking about regrets can make you a better negotiator. And of course they do. If regrets were purely negative, we'd probably have evolved away from being regretful. But we haven't. We've kept regrets. And I think that's because there's a use to regrets. Not only in negotiations, but elsewhere as well. Same thing. We see the same thing with certain kinds of problem solving, um, because because it's you know problem solving is rel- certain kinds of problem solving are relatively easy to measure in laboratory settings. You give people puzzles or anagrams or riddles and things like that. So there are lots of studies showing you put people in a in a problem solving situation. 
Then you ask them to reflect on what they regret about how they solved that problem. Again, you're asking people to invite the negative emotion, not to bypass it, to invite it, to summon it, to, you know, bring it on. If you then use that as a signal, you then do better in the next problem-solving exercise. One of the pioneers in studying regret, Neil Rose, whose research appears throughout Dan Pink's book, used anagrams in one of his earliest and most influential papers. He found that inducing regret in participants, so asking them, what did you regret about your performance? He found that when you induce this regret, it enabled people to solve more anagrams and to solve them faster. So inducing regret makes you solve anagrams faster. It's not just the case in the lab as well, it's evident in the real world. One intriguing study led by Keith Markman asked people to play blackjack against a computer. Markman told half the participants that after the first round, they'd depart. He told the other half of participants that after the first round, they'd play a few more hands. People who knew they'd be playing again generated many more regrets than the ones who only played once. The ones who were playing again were more likely to regret pursuing a flawed card-playing strategy or taking too much or too little risk. The first group, meanwhile, avoided this negativity. They didn't regret anything because they only played once. Dan puts it pretty simply in his book. Without regret, there'd be nothing stopping us wasting all our cash at the casino. But with regret, it stops us. And when we think about that regret, it makes us even more likely to stop. So I'm starting to get the opinion that regrets are pretty great that we should celebrate regrets. They make us a better negotiator. They stop us doing things we don't want to do. But not everybody celebrates regrets. Not everybody talks about them. Most regrets are buried deep down and barely talked about. I asked Dan why this is. I mean, I think we have a bigger problem here. And it's, it's a problem, I think, triggered by Americans, which is that we're totally over. Americans are totally over-indexed on positivity and we've exported it to the rest of the world. Um, and, and here's the thing, and there's some there's some nuance here. Positive emotions are great. We should have a lot of positive emotions. Uh, joy, awe, gratitude, whatever. I want to have a lot of positive emotions. I want your listeners to have a lot of positive emotions. We should positive emotions are fantastic. We should have a lot of them. They should we should have way more positive emotions than negative emotions. But we shouldn't have zero negative emotions. Negative emotions are adaptive. We experience negative emotions for a reason. And so we don't want to banish them. What we want to do is learn how to deal with them, listen to what they're telling us and use them as instruction. And so and and when we line up these negative emotions, fear, anger, whatever, regret ends up being, in my mind, the, the most ubiquitous, simultaneously the most ubiquitous and the most useful. So 99% of us have regrets. Most of us regret a third of our decisions. But it's for good reason. It helps us make better decisions in the future. So we should embrace regrets, not banish them. Before Dan left, I was wondering what type of regret is most common. After all, he's conducted the biggest ever study on regret. I wondered if each of our regrets were completely unique, or if there was some sort of common theme. So I was curious about what people regretted. And in my quantitative survey, what I call the American Regret Project, which is a very large public opinion survey of over 4,400 Americans, 
again, with our sample array to represent the diversity of the United States, I asked people for a big regret, and then I had them slot it into categories, career, romance, education, family, whatever, the traditional categories. Now, other researchers and, and social psychologists really had had looked at this question before, and their answers were kind of all over the place. Initially, they thought the biggest kind of regret that people have are education regrets. And then they realized, well, wait a second, we're doing all of these surveys on college campuses with college students and college um, staff. You know, where if, if we did it, you know, in, in hospitals, we probably have a lot of health care, you know, so so it's really kind of amazing. Only in the the middle of the first decade of the 21st century did were they doing more random surveys. And what they found was People regret a lot of Americans, at least regret a lot of stuff. It's all over the place. So I said, I'm going to try to crack this code, you know, be a little just come up with a very, very large sample and have it be perfectly demographically representative to try to crack this code. So I asked this question, had people submit a regret. Then I had them categorize it by, you know, as career or romance or whatever. And I found that people regret a lot of stuff. It was all over the place. I got the same result as as others had gotten, which is that it's all over the place. Now, that's frustrating. Now, I, and again, I, I, I think that the listeners of the Nudge podcast might find this interesting. The qualitative research, this giant collection tool called the World Regret Survey, which I had established largely for storytelling purposes, proved to be incredibly revealing on this question in a way that I hadn't quite intended. And here's how. I, so again, I have this database of 21,000 regrets. And what I found is that if you read through them one by one by one, when they would come in each morning, you know, I'd check each morning you know, when they come in, I would read them through. I would take notes. I would really listen to people. What I found is something more interesting going on, that beneath the surface of these domains, was a set of very common regrets that transcended domains. Let me give you an example about that because it, to make it, make it more plain. I had an enormous number of people in this qualitative survey, at least an enormous number of college graduates, university graduates. I couldn't believe the number of university graduates that I had, whose, one of whose big regret was that they didn't study abroad while in university. I had a chance to study in Italy. I had a chance to study in Kenya, but I was too scared and I didn't do it. U.S., U.K., Australia, very common regret. All right, that's an education regret. Then I have, and this is this one blew me away, man. I had hundreds of regrets from all over the world that basically had the same formulation where someone said X years ago, there was a man slash woman who I really liked. I wanted to ask him or her out on a date. I was too chicken to do that. And so I didn't. And I've regretted it for 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. That's a romance regret. Then I have a lot of people, again, all over the world. Ah, oh, I so regret staying in this crappy job and not starting a business. If only I had started a business, I'd be happier and more economically secure. Okay, that's a career regret. But those three regrets are the same. Those are regrets of people who are at a juncture in their life. They could play it safe or they could take the chance. And when they didn't take the chance, they regretted it. And we see this over and over and over. Not 100% of the time. There are people out there who took a chance and regretted it. But for every, so for instance, for every person in the database who says, 
oh, I started a business and it and it and it it totally collapsed, and I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had stayed in a steadier job. For every one of those, I probably have sixty who have the exact opposite regret. So, so that's a regret. That's a boldness regret. If only I'd taken the chance. And what I found is that there are four core regrets that people have. One of them are these boldness regrets. Another one are what I call foundation regrets. Foundation regrets are about small decisions you make early in life that accumulate to terrible consequences later in life. So, um, save, I didn't say I spent too much and saved too little. I didn't exercise or eat right. And now I'm overweight or have diabetes or have a serious health problem. Uh, I didn't work hard enough in school or university, and now I don't have the skills I need to compete in labor markets, that kind of thing. So that's foundation regrets, if only I'd done the work. Moral regrets. Moral regrets are, if only I'd done the right thing. Again, you're at a juncture. You can do the right thing. You can do the wrong thing. When people do the wrong thing, most of us regret it because I'm convinced that most of us are good and want to be good. And so I have lots of regrets about bullying. More That blew me away. And I have a lot of regrets about marital infidelity. And then I have other moral infractions and things. And the final category are connection regrets. And these are about relationships, not only or even mostly romantic relationships, but the full gamut of relationships in our lives. They were intact or should have been intact. They come apart, usually in slow, undramatic ways. Somebody wants to reach out. They say, oh, it's going to be awkward. And they're not, the other side is not going to care. So they don't. And so the drift widens. And then a couple of years later, they say, oh, I really should reach out. But, oh, man, it's even longer. That's even more awkward. They're not going to care. Uh, and and sometimes it's too late. So connection regrets are if only I'd reached out. And, and with remarkable universality all over the world, we see these four core regrets. Foundation regrets, if only I'd done the work. Boldness regrets, if only I'd taken the chance. Moral regrets, if only I'd done the right thing. And connection regrets. If only I'd reached out. So there are themes to regret. Your regrets aren't unique. They're almost certainly shared by thousands, if not millions of people across the world. But there seems to be a golden rule when it comes to regret. According to Dan, people are far more likely to regret not taking an action compared to regretting actually taking that action. So, you know, for example, if you're debating whether or not to do something, if you're worrying that you'll regret it, Perhaps you shouldn't. Perhaps you should go and do that thing. Because the evidence says you're far more likely to regret not doing anything at all. Okay, folks, that is all for today. If you've enjoyed today's show, then there is another episode on Nudge that you will love. It is episode 61. It's called The Science of Stress and Three Ways to Beat It. Let's face it, regret often leads to stress. So this episode is a perfect follow-up. It's with researcher and fellow New York Times bestseller, Ethan Cross, and it'll help you learn how to deal with stress. Here's some exciting news for you. Dan Pink will be back on Nudge next week. On that episode, we talk through how you should have a bias for action, the best tactics for getting over regret, and why winning a silver medal at the Olympics feels worse than winning a bronze. It's a cracking episode, I think, and it's no surprise because Dan is brilliant. So to make sure you don't miss that, go and sign up to the newsletter. I'll email you as soon as the show goes live. So head to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter to sign up or click the link in the show notes. Please do follow me on social. I'm on Twitter at P underscore Agnew. That's P underscore A-G-N-E-W. And I'm on LinkedIn too. I'm Phil Agnew on there. 
And finally, if you haven't already, do go pick up a copy of Dan's book, The Power of Regret. It's a real cracker. There's a link to it in the show notes. And in fact, all of Dan's books are brilliant. So if you want to read about motivation, then go pick up Drive. If you want to read about timing, then go pick up When. They're really well worth a read. All right, that is all, folks. I hope you don't have any regrets about listening to this show. And if you do, then embrace them, because after all, regrets are good for you.